There's um, in the book of Daniel, and the only reference that Jesus made to Daniel wasn't to the lion's den or to anything other than he said, from the moment that you see the abomination that makes desolate, stand in the holy place, flee. And there's three references in the book of Daniel to the daily sacrifice and the abomination that makes desolate. And there's the initial one, I think, is in the eighth chapter of the book. And it gives an understanding to us that that uh, daily sacrifice is vulnerable. That it doesn't have an inherent capacity to resist. Um, and so it talks about the daily sacrifice being taken away and how long until it's restored. And you get into the 11th chapter and the daily sacrifice is now reestablished in the work of purification and then in the 12th chapter you see it standing. And um, But the implication, it isn't just really an implication, it's more than an implication. The fact is that if there isn't a daily sacrifice, the abomination that makes desolate governs. So that there is no vacuum, is that that place that the daily sacrifice is designed to function in can never be empty. It's either the functioning of the daily sacrifice or the abomination that makes desolate is there. The only thing that has capacity and authority to resist the influence of that which erodes and degrades the things that are of God in our lives is a daily sacrifice. And of course, we know, you know, Romans 12, where the exhortation of the apostle is, that I beg you to present yourselves consistently to God as a presentation of yourselves to the working of his spirit and the ongoing expression of salvation for your soul. There's no inherent strength apart from that. <clears throat> and it takes a constant refreshing for it to be sustained. It doesn't have a capacity within itself to resist. So it, the way that this works is the authority and the functioning of the daily sacrifice to resist the abomination that makes desolate isn't because it has strength in itself. It's because that daily sacrifice is what puts itself under <coughs> omnipotence. Yeah. And the only thing that resists the effect of natural, the only thing that is the capacity out of which corruptible can be harvested into incorruptibility is the investment of omnipotence. And what comes with omnipotence is, is it's a, a way to talk about power as related to God's unlimited power. Omnipotence is uh, you know a power that can't even be described because it doesn't have obstacles. Omnipotence doesn't recognize measures of difficulty. This is easy, this is hard, this is hardest. Because it just, it, it has no obstructions. It has nothing that can resist it. And along with omnipotence comes omniscience and omnipresence. And we talk about the omnis to be inclusive of something that is expansive 
and beyond our capacity to quantify and to identify and to define. But the simplicity of this is that what fuels and responds to the extension of myself to God is that it's God that draws me to do so. You know, bid me come. Draw me, I would run after thee. You know, that's this thing of it's God who works in us, the willingness to do. And then the capacity to actually do what he's helping us be willing to. Because the willingness doesn't empower us, but the willingness is an evidence of the working of the Spirit to clear the way for his capacity to perform his will in my life. But it won't happen without the first the willingness taking place because his intent is to end up with a bride. And whatever side of the gender fence we may be on today, nobody is gonna conceive of there being a bride by coercion. Any, any, anybody of female persuasion in here that is interested in having, um, what do they call those things that they do in the Mideast sometimes, an arranged marriage? Any volunteers for an arranged marriage? Okay, guys, do you want to do you want to have an arranged marriage? You know, it's like this is nuts, but it's even more ridiculous spiritually that there is a capacity for God to bring through love and mercy to Himself something that doesn't have a participation that is tested in every point. You know, when it says that he was tested in every point like as we, that defines something that's historic concerning Jesus. But what about me being tested in every point to see whether or not what I want is God's purpose in my life? Because that connection is eternal. Can you imagine anything worse than to be eternally connected to something you really don't want? And so God's mercy is, is that, you know, this is, this is the trial of our faith is actually more important than the faith we have. Yeah. Now, people want to hold on to their faith and defend their faith against all odds, but we need to put our faith out there to be tried, to be purified, to be perfected. And that's the functioning of the daily sacrifice, is the working of the Holy Spirit is accommodated and made I make myself hospitable to that ongoing working by presenting myself on a consistent basis. And the characterization that's given there by scripture is something that I need to take counsel from because from the moment that that ceases, from the moment that it ceases, but let's just say there's a day that I miss that I don't offer, there's something that is functioning in its place to begin to undermine and take away from what's already been accomplished. Okay? And you don't notice it. It isn't necessary to go out and commit murder or adultery the next day. You know, it's just an erosion. It's just, even if it's something is benign, apparently benign, it's not really benign, but apparently benign, as losing momentum going forward spiritually. 
If you look at the seven feast days of Israel's agricultural year, and you get into Pentecost, and it takes the Feast of Trumpets to pull you out of Pentecost, you know, and the first working of, because it's Feast of Trumpets, right? I mean, there's messages, it's not just a Feast of Trumpet. And so the initial aspects of the messages of the Feast of Trumpets, preparing us for the Feast of Atonement, is to bring us through functionally for the purpose of having come to Pentecost to come through Pentecost because the important thing at some juncture for Pentecost is to get out of it, survive it, and not be captivated by it because of the emotional and intellectual intervention that's there. You know, you can get absorbed in it with the data and the emotions and the quote-unquote worship, and I'm not saying quote-unquote to in any way diminish the function of the worship, but that it gets locked down in that particular expression of worship, and not go forward to the worship of hanging on a tree. You know, how much I enjoy basking in his presence, as nutritive as that is, and as establishing and as beneficial as that is for a season, that isn't what's going to happen when you're hanging on a tree. Right. You know, it's my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And to have a faith that stands up to that just as much as if I'm enjoying the presence and the sweetness of the fellowship and the work of the Holy Spirit, encouraging me in a positive way. But what about the working of, if you want to say, the the circumcision of the heart without hands. So this thing is, is a critical factor, and I wanted to just, having kind of laid a footprint there, wanted to speak just for a few minutes, if I can get my phone to behave. And I apparently can't. There were two things that I felt like would be good to share. And um, one of them is the offering, but the other thing is ceasing. And the, and the partnering of those two things that we come, if, we're, if, if, if we feel attraction in our soul, the message of going forward, if we feel a calling and, and a, something working in us that is not satisfied with where we are, not necessarily discontented because we see the work of God establishing us in what we are, and we're content with that in the sense of, uh, you know, engaging, being part of what's going on, but then also in yearning for what has yet to come. And you see Jesus involved in a ministry that began unbeknownst to him time-wise when he went to a marriage feast at Cana, but about three years later, he turns to his disciples and he said, you know, the way things have been have been good and 
and it isn't going to be totally not that, but I want you to understand I'm not going to be talking with you the same way that I had been. And the time we have had is going to be a little bit differently because I'm being constrained and narrowed and focused for what is yet remaining for my purpose. And it's taking time and energy to finish that. And there, and there is that that begins to come that's, that's kind of, and we don't, he didn't say what it was. He didn't maybe even have a definition himself of what it was going to involve. And we don't know exactly what this looks like. And there's no interest, hopefully, and, and little energy that would be invested in just doing something different so that we're not doing the same thing. Because God doesn't work from the outside in. God works from the inside out. God brings by his spirit out of what isn't defined. Spirit has no form. And so when we're pulling a manifestation out of what doesn't have form, there's no pattern to follow. You know, the patterns that we've followed out of, uh, you know, the types and the shadows, of those very indistinct types and shadows that kind of more shapes and tattoos because they don't quite measure up to a full type and a shadow. The rehearsing of the ingredients that go into the incense and the anointing oil and the process, nothing wrong inherently with those things, but the fulfillment of what those things speak to being evidenced in our lives because we present ourselves for something that God wants to bring forward that has little or no testimony in this, in this earth. And it's not sourced in nature. So the constancy of this presentation in order to follow on and fulfill what God has for us, there's another word that I had beside cease, but the presentation of myself to God that doesn't have a form, that doesn't have a need. It, it, it's inclusive of the needs. I, I need a certain amount of health. I need a certain amount of the investment of, of his um, purpose. I need some sense of identification I, I, it's, it's difficult just to get up in the pulpit and convey data. If you don't feel like, if I don't feel like I have something that's pertinent at that time for that moment, it's, it's, this is not a place I want to stand. So I need things that are identifiable. Right? I need to know, I'm not going to go to the Shepherd's Inn up to the conventions in Shalomi this, this uh, March. So I, I have to know these things. So there are identifiable things, but the presentation that I have to God exceeds those. It's like if I don't go, they're going to have a convention and God's going to be there and everything's going to be fine. My being there isn't inherently important to that convention. And that convention is not inherently important in my salvation. But I need to know those things. But there is a need that I have that only that presentation and the and the response as a result of presenting myself can, it can solve in my life. And that's the going forward of what I don't know. 
what, we're, what we've been assigned to, what we're being drawn into, is to bring out of what isn't that which can be seen and identified. And it's enough that God's work is what he will support. I mean, it's, it's, he's not going to support what isn't him. You can't get close. Right. You know, I've heard people say, well, Jesus could have stepped off the Mount of Transfiguration in the glory, and isn't it so great that he went on to the cross and laid his life down for you and I? I don't think that's even spiritually real. He had a course that was his course that he had to fulfill. He didn't have an option to cut it off and leave and go into glory. He, he would not have fulfilled the purpose that he himself said he was sent for. I have, but for this purpose have I come. And, and we all have that sense of things. And so God was able to raise him from the dead because he finished his course. And there was a sense in which him going into the grave took God with him into the grave. And that was the source of the resurrection. Except a seed fall into the ground and die under the authority of the one who is sowing it. Okay. The seed is the word of God, but God is the sower. And so the influence of the Almighty in my life is to lay my life down. And that's the daily sacrifice that keeps what would hinder, slow, retard, or even to begin to take away the effectiveness of what God has done. So back to the Feast of Trumpets. The initial aspect of the trumpets is to establish the purpose of of uh, Pentecost, but then begin to draw us through Pentecost and prepare us for the Feast of Atonement. That's the whole function of this. The, 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 the Feast of Trumpets is a day of, it's actually a 10-day window of preparation. That's a passageway that brings capacity to, purpose to, and follow through. And then, I guess we would all know, right? that the Feast of Atonement is that one that has the prescription that if a man would come to that feast and not keep that feast properly, <coughs> that he's cut off. Hey, we all, are we, yes? You're cut off from the people. Well, you know, and some of the people that are still in a hesitancy towards salvation Am I saved? Am I not saved? Can I lose my salvation? Can I? Would take that as evidence to see if you're cut off from the people. You're not a Jew anymore. Well, that isn't what happened. You weren't, it wasn't that you weren't a Jew anymore. It was just that you couldn't go forward and keep the seventh feast. If you didn't keep the first six, if you didn't keep the sixth one, you couldn't go forward to the seventh one. And, and so <clears throat> the preparation of the Feast of Trumpets to embed and weld me to this life now in response to my Savior and to my God to make my life a presentation to His will, His purpose, and His means is a necessary thing on the Day of Atonement before I can keep or be the expression of His indwelling on the seventh day. 
He's not going to certify. He's not going to support. He's not going to infill and, and bring forth a manifestation that is so uniquely him that those that need to see it will see it. But more than that, they'll recognize it for what it is. The creation being delivered from the bondage of corruption by the manifestation of the sons of God, they better see something and they better know what it is that they're seeing. Right? Can't just be an event. It has to be something that's so uniquely supported by God that it can't be missed. It's a testimony that he has been waiting to make for over 6,000 years of this is my salvation. This is how it works. And here it is in plain sight. You don't have to believe without seeing. And so, for me to make a transition from corruptible, to even begin to take, and I, you know, it's, 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 this is a begging from the Spirit of God to all of us to take a stand in a corruptible state. How am I supported in a corruptible state? By imputed righteousness. Why does it need to be imputed? Because there's still flaws here. Right? There's still an incomplete work. What right do I have to stand up and, ex and exhort a bunch of rabid people living in a cold wilderness unto the purpose of God to stand fast and to go forward in the spirit if, if I'm not supported by something? Yeah. <laughs> so... My faith has to work. You know, this is no longer a point of having people point at the church and say, okay, well, where are your works? Or pointing at the miracles and say, where are the miracles? Or where are the healings? Or where are the... Hey, it, it's... Uh, I'm more resistant than to that than a duck is to water. It doesn't get a rise, it doesn't have any interest to me anymore. It did at one point. Sure. I had some of those thoughts myself. But to recognize that the witness of the Spirit is not to bring a testimony to God's capacity to heal, to feed, to provision. It's to finish. And you say, well, wouldn't it be nice to get a healing along the way if he chooses to do so? Anybody would be a fool to not rejoice in it. But sometimes the test of what I believe in is most severely tested when I see the evidence of something that's absolutely contradictory to what I hope for. Yeah. Yeah. Will you let that subvert your offering? Because from the moment that that ceases, something else works. And if we don't realize that the enemy of our soul has a single target in your life every day, 
It's to undermine and stop that sacrifice from being made. Whatever that looks like. And so to me, what that sacrifice has become is an expression of ceasing. Not that I can restrict or restrain or tamp myself, but the ceasing of having an agenda, the ceasing of having an expectation, the ceasing of having a demand on him. I remember the day when I woke up and I was felt like I was under an open heaven and I wanted to get up and start taking notes because there was some really good stuff and then I repented and I said, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for choosing data over you. And set that aside. I mean, there has to be a practicality. I trust that what I need to fulfill a ministry that I'm called to is going to be there. But that isn't what I need. What I need is an undergirding of his work to finish what he began in my life. And it's totally internal. And it's totally his work. And it's totally supported by the refreshing every day of that presentation. Is there anything else? You want to close this? I didn't well, look at you. Okay. Do you want to close this, Tarek? Yeah? If you don't, it's okay. Okay. I do. <laughs>